Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here today. You look lively. I like it. Hey, we have been in a series. Uh, we're going to continue that. It's called Love Your Neighbor. We've been looking at uh, Jesus and some of the stories that emerge out of the Gospels and looking at how he loved God and loved people. And he's called us to do the very same thing, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. And uh, we have kind of based the series inspired through the book by Bob Goff called Everybody Always. And uh, so if you want, you can grab a copy of that. And uh, some of the life groups are using that. And one of the things that we started with was this idea that who is your neighbor? And Jesus answered that question by revealing and showing that the neighbor wasn't just the person across the street in your neighborhood or even the person across the world, but it was people that are often different than us. People that look different, act different, maybe have a different political view, religious view, different color, different ethnicity, different whatever. And that we are called to love everybody always. And uh, then last weekend, Pastor Nate knocked it out of the park talking about catching people on the bounce. That when, when those tragedies hit our life or when those mistakes or failures or sins hit our life and that we, maybe some of them caused ourselves or maybe they just happened to us. And it's in that place where we're broken, where we need someone to catch us on the bounce. And it's in that place as well, in our brokenness, where we often are the most open to God. Today, I want to talk about loving our neighbor, loving people, loving people by not staying in our comfort zone. But in, I'm encouraging us to kind of not play it safe, but to lean in. It's easy to talk about this stuff, isn't it? And kind of conceptually agree with it and go, yeah, that makes sense. Good luck with all that, you know? Like it makes sense, but, but there's another action that God calls us to when we lean in to some of the, the, the mess of people's lives where we're not just watching from a distance. We're not just trying to keep ourselves sterile and sanitized, isolated and insulated, but that we step into people's worlds, meaning that we got to give time. We've got to give priority and it means that we join Jesus in his work, in what he's doing in people's lives. Jesus Christ came into this world not just to die for our sins. That was a huge thing. Amen? I mean, salvation is an amazing gift of God's grace. But there was more than just that that he came to do. He also taught us and came to teach us how to live as humans. How to be a human being to walk in this world, to love God, to love people. He did some amazing miracles, but that wasn't what he wanted everyone's mind and attention pointed towards. He was the best teacher that ever walked the planet. And yet that wasn't the main thing he came to do was to wow us with his teaching. Jesus Christ came first and foremost to change people's lives, to change your life, to change my life. He came to give freedom to people who felt trapped. He came to give forgiveness to those who are guilty. He came to give a future to those who have felt hopeless. We're going to look in a story 
A story maybe you've read multiple times out of John chapter 9. A story of a man who was born blind. And this man was born with a disability that would forever limit his opportunities. All of his life, he, he was not able to see. All of his life, he suffered the poverty that accompanied that type of disability in that, in that particular day and time. He was forced to beg on the street corner in order to try and have enough coins to be able to just eat that night. And he couldn't see the pitiful looks of people who would walk by and stare at him, but he could certainly feel them. What is it that you see when you encounter people in need? When you encounter people that, whose lives are broken or whose lives who are experiencing a pain or a suffering that they didn't ask for? What is it that you see when you encounter somebody with a disability or somebody maybe that's been trapped in generational poverty? Jesus, it says in verse 1 of chapter 9, passed by. He saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What is it that Jesus saw? Jesus saw a man created in his image. Jesus saw a person who he loved, who had a very incredibly difficult life for things he never signed up for, he never asked for. What did the disciples see when they encountered this person of need? They saw someone at fault. Somebody's at fault. Someone's to blame somewhere. Was it him? Was it his parents? Who can we blame? Who, who's responsible for this? The disciples had their own kind of blindness that they needed healing from as well. In their day, people who had chronic sickness, they grew up with the belief that someone must have sinned in order for this to have happened. Either they did or their parents or maybe even their grandparents. And that sin had, and the consequences of it had been passed down. There had to be a simple solution. Someone to hold accountable. Now, before we blame them too much, right, and kind of look down on them, we, we tend to do the same thing. We tend to look at people in great need and we tend to kind of project, well, I, I, there's got to be a way they can get out of this. They ought to be able to just have more vision for their life, have more motivation, work harder, and maybe they can get out of it. I was sitting uh, this past week in a coffee shop working on my message, and there was this little conversation going on in the table next to me, and so I did what you do sometimes. I pretended like I was working, but I was really just listening, <laughs> eavesdropping, because it was really fascinating. They were talking about the race, the mayor race, and who won and why they won, and then the issue of homelessness came up, and they were talking about that, and they were kind of coming up with solutions, you know, like there are these solutions, like if you just do these things, we're going to fix the whole problem with homelessness. And one of them said, you know, gosh, I wish that some of the people that I encounter on the street corner would just put their signs down and go work, you know, like it's just a choice. They're just choosing not to. And another person said, yeah, it seems like they make more money just begging rather than just going and getting a job somewhere. Either or kind of thinking. Simplistic solutions to really difficult situations. Thinking that someone should be held responsible for this. And Jesus said, wrong. It's just not always like that. It's not that simple. It's not an either or solution. 
See, either-or thinking traps us into seeing things as hopeless. We're looking for someone to blame. And yet, look at what Jesus said in John chapter uh, 9, verse 3. Jesus answered. He said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his parents' fault. It isn't God's fault. Look instead to what God can do. That's how you break out of this either-or thinking. Look instead for what God can do. There's another option. Begin to see that the job that we have in our struggles is to look for those opportunities of where God is at work and what God might even want to do. Maybe you're in a job that you absolutely hate. Instead of just going in with this bad attitude every day, what if you begin to, to look at what, how could God use me in a ministry at work to, to serve other people in a way, especially others that are struggling with their job as well? Begin to see the marriage that you are struggling with as a place that God could still heal in that marriage. And even if it didn't get healed, a place where God could strengthen you to show a different kind of love in a difficult relationship. Begin to see sickness, this man's sickness. Jesus said, not as a result of sin, but as something that's going to glorify God. An entirely different way of thinking. God's option, God's third option, always includes the word change. He can change you from the inside out. He can change things that you can't change, you can't control. Sometimes he changes our circumstances, but even more so, he changes our heart. When we're in that kind of either-or thinking, looking for simplistic solutions or people to blame, sometimes what we need to do is just begin to ask God, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do? How will your name be glorified in this very difficult situation? Jesus was saying, I'm going to take this suffering and this injustice, and I'm going to work through it. God didn't cause it. It was the byproduct of living in a broken world with sinful, broken people and broken systems. And yet God was at work wanting to show and do something that would forever not only change this person's life, but change some of the culture around. Jesus follows up with this challenge in verse 4. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Who's got to do the work? What does it say? We. I mean, I've read that before and I thought, well, Jesus is saying, I'm doing some work and I'm going to do the work. And when I get done doing the work, I'll be done with my work. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, we, you and I. We're to participate. We are called to join Jesus in his work. He's bringing the kingdom. He is the king of the kingdom. And he's invited you and me to participate with him. He says, I'm the light of the world. He is here. There'll be a day when, when our ministry and our work is done, but this isn't the day where it's all done. 
This is the day that we're to join him in that work. God has given each and every one of us spiritual gifts to use in serving other people. God wants to use you and me in serving, in, in, in fighting for justice, in meeting need, in lifting people up out of the miry clay, in, in participating what God is doing in this world. I love what Hugh Halter said in his book, Flesh. He said, what makes the stories of our lives beautiful are not the people we've led to faith or the churches we've grown or the poor and hurting people we've renovated. What makes our stories matter are the day-by-day swan dives we take for the king of glory that may never look that glorious, but to God they are. What has God called you to do? Where is he calling you to kind of get into the uncomfortable place of serving others? Maybe it's standing in the gap for people who can't stand in the gap for themselves. Maybe it is to work with people that have disabilities. Maybe it's with children or youth, discipling youth. Maybe it's working with refugees, helping them to get resettled and to feel like they belong and they have a friend. Or maybe it's to serve a teenage mom. Maybe the hungry or the vulnerable. It could be any number of things, right? God calls us not all to do the exact same thing, but to discover what is the purpose and the mission that you've called me to, God? And how can I be about doing those things? Jesus said, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it, who? To me. In the lobby, directly after the service, I'm going to let you out early, and uh, I want to invite you to just go out there, and we're going to give you an extra 10 minutes just to have a cup of coffee and go and look at some of these tables. We have several tables set up. Uh, We have ministries from outside the church and ministries inside the church. Uh, we, We support and kind of are participating with many different ministries in our community, but we have three here today, Serve Spokane, World Relief, and Life Services. And then we also have tables set up with all the different ministries in our church, working with discipling children, discipling and working along, uh, relating to and befriending youth and young adults, and serving in our worship team and creative arts, and serving uh, in our connection ministries and life groups and rooted and children's and so forth. We need you. Uh, matter of fact, we have a couple hundred people that serve in this church, but we need a few hundred more. But God doesn't want us to just stay in the walls of the church. He also wants us to be outside in our community, serving, loving, participating. And then that, that just leads to the question of, well, what does God want for me? And that's something only God will answer for you. No person can. But it starts by just jumping in and just saying, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to serve you, and I want to serve other people. See, this blind man heard what Jesus and his disciples were talking about, and Jesus walks up to this guy, and he begins to talk to him, and he begins a relationship with him. And it says in verse 6, having said these things, meaning that he had this conversation with the man, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back 
seeing. He responded to Jesus in faith. And it was through this ordinary act of getting up from where he was, navigating those streets somehow to find the pool, Siloam, to wash, which he had probably done hundreds of times in his lifetime. And then he came back and he was healed. I think it's fascinating to see that Jesus asked him outside of the the spit and the mud and the mud pack. That was kind of crazy. But outside of that, I mean, going and doing what Jesus said was something he would do. He had done many times in his life. Look at how that miracle started. It was started with something so very ordinary. That's where miracles normally start. They always start when someone does something very ordinary in obedience to God. Saying yes to God. God says, go do this. And then it's just stepping into the uncomfortable place. Stepping outside of what we would normally do. And then watch what God does. I have a friend named Lou. And Lou is constantly bumping into miracles because Lou puts herself in that place of being used by God in her neighborhood, at the grocery store, wherever she is. It's like she's always got some story where she felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and have a conversation. And in that conversation, someone starts sharing their brokenness or their life story. And then in that, she prays for them, and then something happens. It's like, I want to be like that, available to God, for God to use in the everyday, in the mundane, It's that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit that wants to empower us and speak to us and lead us and guide us because God is still working miracles of transformation in people's lives. And he wants to use you as a conduit of his grace to use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. I mean, think of when God did some of the crazy kind of known miracles that we talk about today, the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, with a couple pieces of bread and a few fish, who does he use? Just this little boy who said yes to God. This ordinary step of obedience allowed God to work in an incredible miracle. Are you willing to let God use you in the ordinary? Just saying, God, I'm depending on you. I'm stepping into the stream of what you're doing. I'm willing to work alongside of you in what you're doing. You never know what will happen. What might God call you to do this week? For some, maybe it's to make a phone call. A phone call to someone that you've been estranged from and to just pray over that and trust that God will work through that. Maybe for others, it's to begin praying in a way you've never prayed. Maybe you haven't prayed in years and you begin for the first time in years to pray. Or maybe it's to go and see a counselor that you've been sitting on that emotional problem for so many years, talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And maybe through that ordinary act of saying, I'm I'm going to pursue some emotional healing in my life, that God would meet you in that place. Maybe it's in the area of giving to be, uh, to, to go from being afraid, going from holding on and trying to control Every dollar of your life, instead of just saying, God, I'm opening up my hands and I'm going to just trust you. I'm going to begin to give and be a tither. I'm going to step into that because it's so uncomfortable. Or maybe it's in the area of ministry and service. To step into a place where you begin to let God use you in a way that you've never been used before. 
And maybe, maybe it's not flashy. Maybe it just feels very ordinary. But the, the reality is, is every one of us will struggle with probably the same thing that this blind man struggled with as he was walking to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which he had already done many times, thought, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know. How can God use me? Have you ever thought that? How can God? I'm nobody. I, I have problems. My life is not perfect. And yet God doesn't look for perfect lives. He looks for available vessels. Will you be available to him? That kind of faith that gets uncomfortable. Well, this guy, he, he gets healed. And he's healed not only from his spiritual or his physical blindness, but he's healed in a spiritual way as well. And he begins to see these people that had walked by him every day. And now all of a sudden he recognizes them. He's putting together a voice that he had heard for years with a face that he had never seen. And they're pointing at him and they're saying, that can't be the guy that used to be there begging all the time. There's never been a guy who's been born blind and has been healed. And verse 8 says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, no, I'm the man. <laughs> Instead of everyone rejoicing that this guy has been healed, they don't even believe it is the guy. There's always going to be people around you who doubt. People who tell you your marriage can't be healed. People who will tell you you can't be forgiven. People who will say to you that God isn't the answer to your issues. That, you're, that it's impossible. There's always people who will discourage your dreams and who will shame you. Don't let your past blind you to the possibilities of your future. Don't let other people's voices blind you to what God can do in your life because he's still transforming lives and he wants to reveal a greater purpose and a greater dream for you than you can ever have for yourself. The Jewish leaders, they wouldn't believe either that this guy had been uh, healed by Jesus. They couldn't believe in this miracle. They, they tried to write it off. They said, just tell us that Jesus is a sinner and we'll let you keep coming to church. I mean, they were threatening him. Like, we're going to kick you out if you don't confess that Jesus is just a human being and he's a sinner. And the guy's like, look, here's what I can tell you. Verse 25. One thing I know. I was blind. Now I see. That's the extent of my theology. That's what I got. I was blind. Now I see. Is that your story? That's my story. He said, you can deny it all you want. You can argue it to the ground. You can do what you want, but I was blind. Now I see. Reminds me of the famous song, Amazing Grace. You know that song Americans, both in and outside of church, absolutely love. The writer of the song, John Newton, was born in the 1700s. And he's actually writing this song about his own faith journey. John Newton was taught by his mother, brought up in the faith until he was seven years old because his mom died when he was seven. And at that point, his life started to take a pretty ugly turn. 
And at the age of 11, he joined his dad, who was a captain uh, of a ship. And he began to just hang out with the sailors on this ship, and he became a sailor. He became like them. And his goal was to kind of become uh, even more corrupt than any of them. He began to drink and cuss and do all the kinds of things that sailors back then did. And uh, he just experimented with all kinds of debauchery. And every now and then he'd think about the religion that his mom kind of schooled him in, but religion failed him. Religion, he says, kind of just made him feel guilty and gloomy. Sometimes religion will do that, won't it? Jesus didn't come to bring you religion. He came to bring you life. He came to bring you a relationship with God. And so this young boy is doing whatever he wants. He's trying to fit in. He's doing, doing everything. He's reaping the consequences from this. He tried to run away from the boat a couple times. He was brought back. He was, he was flogged, put in uh, stocks in front of all of the shipmates. Eventually... He falls into this lucrative business of slave trading between Africa and America. And in that business, as he went up the ranks in 1748, he took this journey with slaves on the boat, and they encounter this storm. And in this storm that threatened his own life, he cries out to God, God, have mercy on me. And it wasn't in that moment that he really experienced salvation. It was later as he reflected on it and thought, why did I call out to God? And why would God have mercy on me? Well, something did happen to him because he began to read the Bible. He began to pray. He began to talk to other people about Jesus while he was still on the slave trading boats. Go figure. I don't get it. But sometimes that's true, isn't it? We come to a place of faith in Christ, but we still somehow keep some of the old habits of our past. Well, he finally gets sick, and he gets off the boat. And while he's off the boat, he has this dramatic encounter with Christ, and his life changes. He recognizes uh, that that slavery as the evil that it was, and he turns turns away from it, and he repents, and he befriends William Wilberforce someone who was working in politics who presented a bill that ends up over, uh, took years to do, but it ends up outlawing this evil act of slavery uh, and slave trading. And then, of course, he writes Amazing Grace, which becomes kind of a story of his life, that that he was blind and now he sees. And this song, Amazing Grace, becomes the anthem For the civil rights movement in our own country, and it speaks even today of all forms of social injustice that we need our eyes open to so that we can say, God, you saved me, you healed me, you opened my eyes, now let me be a part of the solution. I once was blind, now I see. My own life, I was cynical, I was rebellious, I was selfish, I was arrogant. That was me. I was blind. But Jesus did something in my life and in my heart. Somebody reached out to me and loved me and told me about their relationship with Jesus Christ, and it changed me from that point forward. How about you? Who's the hero of your story? Are you the hero? Jesus Christ is the hero of our story, and he is the one that says that while it's daytime, 
There's work to be done in the world. Use your spiritual gifts. Serve others. Discover your calling. Enter into the Jesus mission. Where is it for you? What is it for you? Maybe it just starts with God opening up the eyes of our heart so that we can begin to see in a way that we haven't before. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your grace, for coming for a sinner like me. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you also, Lord, for showing us what it means to be a human being, to be compassionate, to be loving, to be faith-filled, to participate in bringing the kingdom of God to this world. Lord, only you can change the human heart. Only you can work those kind of miracles. Only you. But Lord, thank you for inviting us to participate. Open the eyes of our heart this morning. Help us begin to say yes to you in some new and fresh ways that might even be uncomfortable. We don't want to play it safe, Lord. We want to walk into the areas that you've called us to say yes to you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Well, here in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to go out into the lobby and just stick around. You have a solid extra 10 minutes right now before you need to get your kids. They're fine down there. They're chilling. Let them be there. Go out. Have a cup of coffee. Go to one of the tables, will you? You're not signing your life away. You're just inquiring. You're just getting into a conversation. You're just saying, I'm interested. Go out and talk to the people at the tables, would you? God bless. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week.